Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. I'm very glad you joined us for every you're listening to us from. And if you are new to the podcast, new to the ministry of Modern Homemakers, the work of Modern Homemakers, I am so glad you joined us. Would you drop us an email that just says, Hi, I'm listening from. We're not putting you on our mailing list or anything like that. We just keep track of where people listen to us from. And at this point, the last I remember, 32 countries and every state in the union. So welcome to all of you. We've been reading this welcome prayer, and each time we gather, I choose to do something different with it. And today, I just want to quote one line from this prayer. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for power and control. Now, you might wonder why I did that. Well, because I think I found recently in my own life, I defraud myself quite easily by saying, I'm not a control freak. I'm not trying to control that situation. But when I pause long enough to welcome the Lord into my life, And using the words of this prayer, which you can find on our website, I discover that I do desire power and control, and sometimes in serious forms in certain situations. Well, we've been talking about ways to prepare our hearts for Easter, and I must tell you, this is my favorite time of the year, my absolute favorite time of the year. And my husband and I are in this transition, so we moved from our property, and I've just put my arm out here, like way over there, and this bigger property to a smaller home that we are remodeling. Did you ever remodel one? Did you ever see the movie The Money Pit? Well, we're not quite there yet, but I think we're closing in on calling it a money pit. And we're doing such fun things, and we're having such a good time. My husband, I think, is more creative than I am. And together, we can be a dangerous duo. And when it's done, we're going to love it. And it's never going to be done, because we never done anything. We just keep going at it. And but we're trying to get done so we can move in. That's that's the piece we can move in. And I invited people for Easter. I invited people for Easter in December. And that was sort of my red badge of courage saying, if I invite them, then we're going to have to get done with this house. Well, we may be having Easter in the backyard and on cardboard boxes, but I think we'll have Easter together in our new property. But one of the things that I'm missing right now is the stuff I have in storage because they're some small pieces of things that we put out at this time of the year. One of them is a handmade wood cross, very rough. And through the years, we've added little pieces to it. Someone gave me a very small, oh, maybe uh, seven inches in circumference of a crown of thorns. And I put that on top of the cross. And then I bought a really deep purple piece of ribbon that I drape over uh, the sidebar of the cross. And I miss having it out at this time of the year. I talked about various things you can do with your children the last time we were together, and something I've never done before that I'm doing this year. So welcome aboard. If you are 
old to us, you, this is going to be new to you. And if you are new to us, it's new to all of us. And this is something called the seven last words of Christ. Now, I always think it's funny when people call something that it isn't. Did you ever get stuck on a name? And then you say, well, where did that word come from? Here's one my husband and I have. We were having serious discussions over the course of a couple of years, and we, we determined that we would sit down twice a week and talk for one hour on this subject. And we kept it. We kept it. We did it. And so one day somebody, either David or myself, said, what do we call this time? And David said, it's conking time. Conking? Where did that word come from? We don't even know how to spell it. Is it C-O-N-K or K-O-N-K? But conk time came. And so I think that's how the seven last words came. I suppose you could say seven last words because each one of these are statement. There's not one of them that's just a word. There's one that's two words. So the seven last statements that were spoken by Christ from the cross. Let me say that again. The seven last statements that were spoken by Christ at the cross. They're often used at Good Friday, and there are services around your city, around your country, wherever you are, and they call them sometimes the stations of the cross. And um, sometimes there are prayer gardens. There is a prayer garden not far from our new home. And those there are seven places that have been created where you can go and read the statements and pause and pray and be outdoors. And outdoors in this time of the year in Arizona is nearly perfect. So one of the things that I've never talked about and I've always sort of wondered about was why do we call this dreadful day, the day that Christ was crucified, good? I can't find anything good in Good Friday. And so I just did a little research this year and it probably came from God's day. It was God's day. It was God's day. Oh, a lot of reasons you could build into that. And it's it's probably like the word goodbye. Did you ever know that goodbye actually came from a phrase that we used to say to one another, God be with you, God be with you. Does anyone ever say that to you? Maybe your grandmother said that to you or someone in your church said that with you, God be with you. You're leaving someone and so you say, God be with you, and it came shortened to goodbye. So much of Easter history, like a lot of places of history, come from things we don't know about. They're not, we don't practice them. Like, I remember... Um, someone asking me some years ago why we bought Easter clothes. And the, qu the, the comment was, I think we do that because it's the only holiday in the year that we don't have anything we'd buy. Like Thanksgiving, we'll buy a lot of food. And Easter, what could we buy? So now we have Easter baskets and Easter clothes. I don't know. Maybe you don't buy a new Easter dress. Uh, I did as a little girl, and I grew up in Chicago, and my mama would buy me an Easter dress and always a little pair of black patent shoes. And often on Easter in Chicago, it would be snowy, and I'd have to put my overcoat over the whole thing and boots on top of my shoes. But it started when Christians in the early church all dressed in white clothes, and that separated them from those who didn't believe in Christ. So from Easter wearing white clothes to Easter finery and Easter bonnets and 
uh, eggs. Eggs were for the purity, the fer fer fertilization, the freshness, and then came bunnies and colored eggs and there's been so much done and written. You remember the song, In Your Easter Bonnet, In Your Easter Bonnet, with all the frills upon it. Well, we've got lots of things to talk about with regard to Easter. And so do these last statements, these last seven statements. Um, I've been pursuing this information and trying to find out just enough about it that I can share it with you without too much. But musicians and writers have been writing about it from Beethoven to Dylan Thomas. John tells us that the Word became flesh in the beginning of the book of John, and then the flesh declares it is finished. So one of the seven statements is it is finished. And I think it's a powerful juxtaposition of John saying to us, and the Word became flesh, and we celebrate Christmas, and then the flesh declares that it is finished. But I had this idea that I want to just pass by you, and it comes from a Bible account which is quite familiar to everyone, including those who are not found in Christ or those who are not found in church. There's an enormously important piece of artwork about the prodigal son. And there is this account of the prodigal son and his prodigal brother. No one ever calls the brother a prodigal, but he has a brother. And I'm going to make the time to read it aloud to you today. So it starts in chapter 15 of Luke at verse 11. Then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that will belong to me. So the father divided his property between them, and a few days later the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in desolate living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in real need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, that's the phrase, that's where, that's where I paused. One of the Bible versions says, and when he came to himself, did you ever come to your senses about something like, what am I doing here? Why am I doing that? When he came to his senses, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he sent off and went to his father, and while he was still far off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion. And he ran, and he put his arms around his son and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let's eat it and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. 
The second part of this account talks about the elder brother. Now his elder son, the father's eldest son, was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and said, What's going on? And the slave replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Ah, the brother became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father this way, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead, and he has come to life. He was lost, and he is found. He came to his senses. And I think this time of Easter in preparation is about coming to our senses. He came to his senses. He came to himself. The father, if he's anything like me or you, if you were a mother, was watching daily. You know, did you ever watch for a check to come in the mail? Did you ever watch for a gift to come to be sure it was on time? Did you ever look for the Amazon truck to be sure it's coming to your house because you need that package you ordered just last night to be there today? We look for it. The father was looking for it. I can just see him going out to the place. There were no mailboxes. There were no Amazon trucks. There was a road a long way off. Now, often wealthy people in that era lived a little higher on the hill. So looking at the road a long way off, you could see it for a long way because it was below. I think Good Friday brings us to our senses. Life and death of Jesus and our own knowledge of ourselves, this truth, this recognition that self-knowledge and humility go hand in hand, that this is the beginning of wisdom. Is that what happened to the son? He came to his senses and he said, wait a minute, here I am in the stranger's man eating the, the food for the pigs. He came to his senses and said, at least I could go home and eat in my father's pig yard. He came to his senses. He discovered something about himself. He said, this was a crazy thing I did. This was a crazy thing. I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my father that I have sinned against him and I've sinned against him and I want to be forgiven and I don't want to be called son anymore. I just want to be back home with my father. This is the beginning of wisdom. And I think Good Friday is about coming to our senses. So when I come to my senses, when I come to some self-knowledge, when I can see some wisdom of something in my own life, it most often comes to the simple fact that Jesus is calling me to come. Come closer, dear daughter. Come. Come and follow me. You've taken a 21st century route. It's a shortcut. You think you're going to get to the right place. Come. I love how often Jesus says in the New Testament, in the Gospels, come, come, come and follow me. As we prepare for this time of celebration and Easter, I want you to ask the Lord, are you coming to your senses? 
about following Christ? Is this the time, is this the year that you are going to take this time of sacrifice and fasting and confession and repentance? And maybe you're going to stay at the cross a little longer between now and the Easter joy of the resurrection. The Easter joy of the resurrection. And what I'm going to do in the next days ahead is I'm going to be talking to you about each one of these last statements that Christ spoke at the cross. And today, what I'm going to do is give you the references, okay? These are in order, seven statements. The first one, Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second statement, Luke 23, 42, and 43. Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. The third statement, John nineteen, twenty-five through 27. When Jesus says, look at your mother, look at your son. The fourth statement, Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This fulfills a prophecy spoken in Psalm. 5, John 19 and 28. Your Bible may say three words, I am thirsty. Some versions just say, I thirst, two words. 6. Luke twenty three forty six. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then number seven, John 19 and 30. It is finished. It is finished. Now as we close our time, I just want to make a few comments. Forgiving them for they didn't know what they do is just, an expression of the limitless compassion and grace of Christ. They didn't know he was the Messiah. And he's he's asking his father to forgive them. And then he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is such an expression of faith on this man. He has just come to believe that this is the Messiah and he wants the Messiah who's being crucified next to him. And Jesus, that's a criminal. Jesus is the pure lamb, but he pauses even his hour of death, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then the next one, which is in a profound moment for me, is here is Jesus on the cross, and he says to his mother, look at your son, and he says to the son, who is now to be John, look at your mother. In his last breaths, he's taking concern for his mother. Oh, I ask you, this 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 year, are you taking time for your mother in your busy life? And then, is there someone that you are so close to? Have you created friendships and community in such a way that you could say, and here's my mother, will you take care of her? His care for others. The, the two steps of love God and love others is so clear there. And then, why have you forsaken me? Um, there was an abandonment that had to happen. There had to be some separation between God and his child. 
for the weight of sin to take its place. And then I thirst. It's a messianic prophecy found in Psalm 69, and he talks about the gall. And this is when he says he's thirsty, and they give him the vinegar. And then, into your hands I commend my spirit. That is the very thing that I was talking about when I was talking about fasting. This is his willingness. It's Jesus' willingness to surrender himself to the Father. And I'm called to do it all the time. Surrender, Donna. Give it up. Give it over. The prayer we've been praying, you don't need to be in power and control. And then lastly, it is finished. And I must tell you, that I have been very jocular about that. I love finishing a project, don't you? I love done. And I have made little snide remarks about, you know, like Jesus, when he said it is finished. I have no idea what that could possibly mean to the Savior. But the suffering was done, and the whole work of God was completed. God's ultimate plan for mankind had been completed in that moment. And it's the last thing he spoke. It is finished. So I hope you'll join me to look at each one of these statements and some powerful thoughts. They won't be long shows, but they will give you some insight to each of the statements. And may I encourage you now, find a church around your town somewhere that has a service on Good Friday called the Stations of the Cross. I'm John Otto, and this is Modern Homemakers. And we are very modern these days. One of the things that I love about modern homemakers is that we do not stick to a strict, you should belong to this church or that church or another church. You should belong to the place where Jesus Christ is lifted up, where the word of God is read and understood, and that the spirit of Christ is allowed to be free. And that is where the Lord will bless you. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of recognizing the last seven statements of Christ. Mm-hmm.